from OETA, Oklahoma's home for public television. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Oklahoma News Report podcast. I'm ONR host and news director, Rich Lenz. Each week on our show, we do an in-depth segment with a handful of panelists covering a timely topic. But our show on air only has so much time. We're excited to be fully launching this week the Oklahoma News Report podcast, where we can bring you longer cuts of our in-depth important interviews and more of that in the future. In this week's In-Depth, when the Oklahoma Supreme Court voted 5-1 to last week to overturn a $465 million settlement in the state's opioid trial against Johnson & Johnson, it raised a lot of questions, not only about the reversal, but what it means for Oklahoma's efforts to combat the opioid epidemic in the future. To discuss that in-depth, Here's Susan Godot and her panel of guests. Thank you, Rich. There is so much to discuss here. I want to go ahead and introduce our panel of guests. First, we have Terry White, who is with the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma uh, CEO, Brad Beckwith, who is an attorney for the state of Oklahoma, and Cassie McClung, who is a reporter for our content partner, uh, The Frontier. Thank all of you for being with us today. Thanks for having having me. I'm gonna give a little bit of a review, some information we pulled just to give some context and a reminder for everyone that you know, a couple of years ago an Oklahoma District Court held Johnson & Johnson responsible for a $465 million fine for, for public nuisance is what it was called. And that was in accordance with the pharmaceuticals responsibility in generating a crisis of opioid addiction. But last week, the Supreme Court of Oklahoma overturned that decision. That's our starting point. That's where we're going. Uh, Cassie, I want to start with you. The, the, in that case, the focus seemed to have been on the damage caused by opioid manufacturers. Could you sum up both the arguments of the state and the pharmaceutical for us? Sure. Um, and. I'll, I'll go back a little bit because I'm sure it'll come up again. But um, so the former attorney general filed this case against several drug manufacturers back in 2017. And by the time that the trial started, Johnson & Johnson uh, was the only company left that hadn't settled. So the attorney general's argument, and they were making the argument under the state's public nuisance laws, was that Johnson Johnson had intentionally contributed to the state's opioid epidemic um, with an aggressive marketing campaign that exaggerated the drug's benefits and also downplayed their addictive and potentially dangerous qualities. And um, Johnson and Johnson's argument was that the company had only um, contributed a small percentage of opioid drugs Uh, circulating in the state. And they also argued that the state's public nuisance law didn't apply in this case. Terry, I want to come to you next really quickly. You know, this was in 2019 or two years out. Is there still an opioid crisis? Did it all just go away or are we still having issues? And also, has any of the the money that have come, not only to Oklahoma, but maybe to other states, has, has helped as they were intended to? We unfortunately are absolutely still in the midst of an opioid crisis. If you look specifically at what happened in Oklahoma, and it is directly attributable to Johnson & Johnson, I want to just say up front, the Supreme Court overturning that decision didn't overturn the decision that Johnson & Johnson was responsible. What they said was 
that the nuisance law wasn't the way to pursue it. They didn't argue with the judge's finding that Johnson & Johnson had caused the opioid epidemic and was the kingpin in the opioid epidemic. None of that was in the Supreme Court um, ruling. And what we have in Oklahoma is you can clearly see that beginning with Johnson & Johnson's aggressive and honestly false and leading, false and misleading marketing where they told doctors across the nation by paying other doctors to say that these drugs weren't addictive and downplaying the risks of that addiction for all populations, including pregnant women, we saw a significant rise in overprescribing in the state of Oklahoma. It began across the nation, but what we care about is the state of Oklahoma beginning in the early 90s. And as that prescribing got out of control, as did the rates of addiction and opioid overdose, and by previous role as commissioner of mental health and substance abuse for the state of Oklahoma, when we realized what was happening, because at first you don't see these sort of nefarious plans sneaking up on you, but when we realized what was happening, we started an incredibly aggressive campaign of our own through prevention and intervention and treatment strategies to reduce the number of opioid deaths in our state. And that began happening in 2012 and had been decreasing, but we don't have the resources to get anywhere back to near the levels that we had prior to what Johnson & Johnson did. Brad, I want to come to you because I want to dive into some legal weeds with you on this. First of all, what is your reaction to the, the Supreme Court decision? Well, my heart really aches for Oklahoma and for the moms and dads and sisters and brothers who have suffered through this crisis at no fault of their own. You know, the the decision the Supreme Court made really wasn't one based in fact. Uh, if you read the opinion, there's no discussion of the facts. And as Terry said, they don't challenge the fact that the trial court here found that Johnson & Johnson created a menace to the public. Um, our nuisance law has been on the books since Oklahoma was a territory. And nowhere does the statute or any case that's ever come out in the state of Oklahoma's history say you can't use public nuisance this way. The law is very clear. If someone engages in unlawful conduct that affects public health or offends decency, the attorney general of the state's empowered to bring an action for what's called abatement uh, against that company. So our court had a decision to make. They had a decision to stand up for the people of this state, the voters and the taxpayers, and say, as a matter of public policy, we're not going to let a company come in here and trash our state and murder people, or we're going to stand up for corporate America. And I think we know what the choice was. Well, did it surprise you? Did this take you by surprise? Of course it did. Um, you, you have to kind of step back here as uh, we were doing at the beginning of this about the history here. Um, this effort to fix the opioid crisis didn't just start with this litigation. Uh, the Attorney General's office started an opioid commission, which was a bipartisan group of political leaders, agency officials, including Commissioner White, and uh, business leaders. And that group worked tirelessly for years to try to effectuate change in the state as a partner to the litigation. Great legislation has been passed, uh, new ideas have happened. So we have total buy-in from the people of this state. And when we went to trial, I don't think there was anyone in the state of Oklahoma who didn't support what we were doing. And when we went up on appeal, one of the arguments that Johnson & Johnson made was, look, 
if we apply business, if we apply the nuisance law this way, businesses, including oil companies, might get hit down the road with similar lawsuits. We countered that. The chairman of Continental Oil came in and said, no way, what's bad for business is killing our people. Uh, business leaders in the auto industry, real estate industry, banking industry, and every medical group in the state of Oklahoma, plus the legislature, the House and the Senate came in and said, look, this law is applied the right way. You need to do what's right for the state and affirm this judgment. So yeah, the fact that the Supreme Court ignored all of that and ignored a hundred years of history, yeah, it's shocking to me. So so Cassie, yeah, I, I wanna come to you. Um, I know you've been taking a look at this for a while. When it comes to the public nuisance law, what reason did you hear the court give for saying it's, it's not applicable in this case? Why did they say it wasn't applicable? Yeah. And um, Brad might be able to explain this a little bit better, but essentially they said that um, the judge went too far and how he applied the public nuisance law and that it wasn't applicable um, in uh, holding the opioid companies accountable. They said that essentially once they manufacture the drug that how doctors distribute it or how it's distributed, um, it it's out of their hands. And I'm sure Brad might be able to explain that a little bit more eloquently, but that was the gist of it. No, I, well, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Brad. Yeah. Well, I think you did a great job with it. it it's really that simple. And what, what happens with nuisance law, there are states that limit nuisance law to issues involving property. Texas is one of them. Texas very expressly says in their statute, it only applies to property cases. Oklahoma doesn't say that. Um, but yeah, the, the way I would look at this is pretty simple. For the last 20 plus years, when you went into a doctor's office, you had a surgery or you had a problem and you said, hey doctor, this is my problem, what should I do? And they say, well, we're gonna prescribe you an opioid. And you say, okay, is that safe for me to take? What you didn't know is that in the state of Oklahoma, over 200,000 times, somebody had been in that office before you were, talking to that doctor and lying to that doctor and educating that doctor with false information that that drug was safe and effective when neither of those is true. And those were factual findings the court made here that the Supreme Court doesn't even doesn't address because you know it's what the decision was based on a legal issue and not the facts. Terry, you've been so passionate about this. What 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 would you want to say if you could have your druthers? What should happen now? Is there is this it? Is this the end? This is not the end. We have too many Oklahomans dying. We have, I mean, literally hundreds of Oklahomans are still dying each year from opioid overdose. That doesn't account for the thousands struggling with addiction. This is significantly impacting families and businesses across our state. The end of this story is not that Johnson & Johnson skirts their responsibility, which is what they try to do repeatedly in multiple forums in multiple cases. And we're not ready to give up as a state. And Brad can probably talk a little bit about what that means, but this isn't over for the state of Oklahoma. We have too many lives on the line. All right, Brad, take it away. Thanks, Susan. And, and you know, Cassie started out by giving a summary of what happened here, but let me just step back in a little more detail. The state of Oklahoma, starting with the attorney general's office, showed a tremendous amount of courage here to stand up to these industries. Um, other states have followed suit and filed their own cases, but Oklahoma was the tip of the spear here. 
And the attorney general's office and its staff has worked tirelessly for almost four years now with the outside lawyers to, to really pursue a cause. It was, this was about doing what's right for the state and righting a wrong. That strategy has worked very, very well for Oklahoma, despite this ruling, and I'll break that down. Um, we first settled with Purdue and the Sackler family. We recovered $270 million for the state, and $200 million of that went to Oklahoma State University. My friend Reggie Wooden, who was right there leading this case with me all along, has worked tirelessly for the last 20 years on addiction, recovery, treatment, and education. And he's worked closely with Oklahoma State and uh, Casey Shrum there. And the idea was to put this money to use in a way that could make Oklahoma centerpiece for the country on research, prevention, and treatment. So that money's there at Oklahoma State. We think that'll be a seed for things to come. Now, had we not pursued the strategy we, we did, we wouldn't have got any of that. Purdue and the Sacklers went into bankruptcy. There's been a settlement there that over maybe a 10-year period, some states will get paid. Our share in that bankruptcy would have been 26 million bucks. So right there, that's a 10 multiple that the state got. With Teva Pharmaceuticals, who we settled with on a Saturday before trial, we recovered $85 million. They have paid one state to date, that was Louisiana. They paid them 13 million and they're gonna pay it over 15 years. Altogether, so far, we've got $373 million to the state of Oklahoma. Now, real quickly, what Mrs. Commissioner White was talking about, I'll always call her commissioner. That's just who she is to me. Um, we have a plan through uh, General O'Connor. He's got a very uh, methodical and smart plan about what the state's going to do next. And I can't reveal a lot of that. I will say this. We have cases pending against three of the major distributors uh, of opioids in this country. Uh, they're pending in Durant. Uh, we've survived motions to dismiss there and we're headed towards trial. The state also preserves certain claims against Johnson & Johnson and the Attorney General will make decisions about what we're gonna do with that as we go forward. Uh, but that office, including General O'Connor and his legal team, uh, and the people that work for the agencies affected here, we're all going to keep fighting. And me and Reggie and Mike Burge and our, our teams, we're going to give this to our last breath because it's that important to us. So, Brad, it's like you're in my head. You know what I want to ask. So you already answered my question. I wanted to find out how much money has Oklahoma received so far from the various um, um, law interact legal interactions and, and settlements and, and what have you. Um, it sounds like some of the money we may not get for a long time, if ever. Cassie, I, I wanna ask you, um, you've been covering this for a while. How long do you anticipate to be covering this? Is this something that's gonna end up being a generational story? And also, Cassie, is this money going where it was supposed to go? The money that we have received, what have you seen there? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll start with the first part of your question. Um, I, I absolutely think this is gonna be a story for you know years and years and generations to come like brad said the legal battle is far from over and um, as terry mentioned earlier we're oklahoma is still seeing an opioid crisis in the state so you have a health story and you have a legal story and i don't expect that to um you know slow down anytime soon 
And to go to your other question about the money spent. So um, the state has, from settlements, the state has gotten over $370 million so far. A lot of that did go to OSU and that's earmarked for a center that they're planning there. Um, some of it is still waiting with the attorney general's office and that money is supposed to go to cities and counties um, for abatement efforts, treatment um, and whatnot. So I think the pandemic from what I understand, especially when it comes to OSU and the attorney general's office and some other similar agencies, it really slowed down how they were planning to spend their money. Um, but for the most part, all of that, the majority of that money has been earmarked for spending. And obviously, as far as the Johnson Johnson settlement goes, that was already in the air and pending a Supreme Court decision. So there were no, um, as far as I know, there were no solid plans mm. on where that money was going to go specifically. Um, but my understanding was it was going to go toward, you know, abatement efforts around the opioid crisis. And, and I, I just added what Cassie's yes, saying. Sure. I thought it was supposed to go to, to counties. I, more than half of it went to the o, OSU Center. Mm -hmm. Ontario. I wanted to find out what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, well, let me, let me explain. The money that went to the to Oklahoma State University Center for Health Sciences to create the National Center for Wellness and Recovery was supposed to go there. That was the settlement agreement the Sackler family made. In fact, the agreement they made is, we will only settle if, we, if a national center is created. So that money went exactly where it was supposed to. And we, okay. OSU has been doing some incredible things under Dr. Casey Shrum's leadership. In fact, the gold standard for treatment for opioid addiction is something called medication-assisted treatment, and they are offering that across the state to any Oklahoman in need, even via telemedicine, because connecting to those services sometimes is really challenging if you don't live near the National Center. So they have also set up um, agreements with federally qualified health centers across the state. They are working to create agreements with community mental health centers across the state. If they don't have the staff, and the physicians trained to do this evidence-based gold standard treatment, they can connect with OSU to receive that treatment for all Oklahomans in need. So there are some amazing things happening already out of that national center. But if Johnson & Johnson doesn't step up and pay their fair share, we will not be able to fully abate this crisis. Um, I, I, wanna, I wanna have my last question, it's for you, Brad. Uh, we have a new attorney general now. What do you foresee going forward and how fast do you see it happening? Well, I've gotten to know General O'Connor. He comes from a long background of being a lawyer, uh, doing very complex cases and transactions. Um, what I've gotten to, to learn from him is that he's very smart, he's meticulous, and he's deliberate in his decision making. Um, that's what I know about him as a lawyer. What I know about him in this case is that he is absolutely committed to this cause. He understands the problem that Oklahoma is facing. You know, he didn't choose to bring this case, he inherited it, but he has come in from day one and immersed himself in the facts and the procedure and the opinions of us. And he has a big staff who's given a lot of their time uh, over the last few years uh, to learn what, what's, what's happening here and what to do about it. And the mandate that we've been giving is to, push forward as fast and deliberately as we always have. And that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to pursue the distributor case. Um, 
as I said, we've got you know trial coming up in the next 18 months or so. There are, I should have noted earlier, there are global settlements here. Um, the Johnson & Johnson, because of what we did, uh, ended up having to throw $5 billion into a global settlement with the rest of the country. Um, the take for Oklahoma, and that was $13 million. So it wasn't like we had a, a good uh, amount of money to walk away from when the state needs billions. Um, likewise, the distributors have offered $26 billion globally to all states and cities and counties. Uh, General O'Connor declined to participate in that settlement when it came out. And we're going to continue to blaze our own path and try to achieve a better result for the state of Oklahoma. So I commend him from doing that, for doing that. Um, and our team, uh, Judge Burge and Reggie Whitten and myself and the folks that work with us, we're going to, and our families, uh, we've all sacrificed a lot on behalf of the people that made sacrifices without choosing to do it. That's the victims here. Uh, we're going to continue to be their voice. And I would encourage everyone that, that watches this, and I hope a lot of people do, just to remember that, you know, we make a lot of decisions when we vote and when we uh, deal with leaders in the state, um, those decisions have consequences. And uh, right now in the attorney general's office, you've got the benefit of what is the largest law firm in the state of Oklahoma, that's the attorney general's office. And you've got the resource and staff there of people that really truly care about this cause and they're committed to fighting for it. And I think Oklahoma's very, very lucky to have that. I'm proud to be a part of it. I want to thank all of you for your time to talk about this important issue, because at the heart of it, while we're talking legalities and plans and, and settlements, are real people, and I know you've all met them in your work um, as journalists, as attorneys, as advocates, as the commissioner, Terry, and, and so have I. These are real people who've lost family members um, who are suffering with addiction. And that's what this is all about. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us for your time and for your efforts on behalf of the state. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. Support independent journalism in Oklahoma. Donate at oeta.tv slash podcast. That's oeta.tv slash podcast. From OETA, Oklahoma's home for public television. Thank mm -hmm. you.